welcome to Capital Link's Trending News podcast series. In this podcast series, we have the opportunity to discuss with company management on recent news and announcements that they have made. I am Nicholas Bornois, president of Capital Link, and we have today with us Mr. Moritz Furman, the chief financial officer of MPC Containerships uh, listed in Oslo. Our discussion is going to touch upon the company's Q2 2023 recently announced results, but will mainly focus on MPC containerships development strategy and the containers, uh, containership sector uh, outlook. A quick reminder of our disclaimer that our podcasts are provided purely for informational and educational purposes. They do not constitute investment advice or advice of any kind. And of course, Capital Link bears, bears no responsibility for them. Uh, and I'd like to mention that Capital Link has the opportunity, the, the privilege to work with uh, MPC Containerships on uh, investor relations. Uh, MPC Containerships is a leading container tonnage provider focusing on small to mid-sized containerships. Its main activity is to own and operate a portfolio of containerships serving intra-regional trade lanes on fixed rate charters. At the end of June 2023, the group's fleet consisted of 63 vessels with an aggregate capacity of approximately 137,000 TU. The company's sales, as I mentioned, trade on the Oslo Stock Exchange under the ticker MPCC. Moritz, welcome. As I mentioned, our discussion today will focus primarily on company development, strategy, and sector outlook. But I think let's start with the recently announced results. Um, you announced the Q2 23 uh, results on August 22nd, and that was a very strong quarter, uh, despite the fact that the containership market has gone through a period of uh, softening. Despite that, your results have been quite robust. So would you like to elaborate on your um, results and also on what drives this uh, performance? Uh, sure, very very happy to do that, and obviously thank you very much, uh, Nicolas, for for having me. Um, yeah, needless to say, we we are very happy with the financial performance of of uh, the second quarter in twenty three. I mean, the the net profit has been coming in north of hundred million US dollars, um, earnings per share around uh, twenty three cents, um, again, average TC rates close to thirty thousand dollars per day. And that is also one of the reasons why the financial performance is is so solid, despite and you mentioned that, that the market is sort of uh, uh, normalizing uh, relative to the last two to three years is still have uh, a lot of legacy contracts uh, with decent, uh, very decent names, uh, decent charter rates, um, enabling us to to post those profit numbers and, and also uh, what we were focusing right now a lot on is the the operations of, of our ships. So uh, we we were able to improve the utilization, and a lot of emphasis is being put in, into uh, yeah operations of the ships and and trying to maximize uh, the contracts that we have on on, on the vessels. Um, and basis basis the the very good performance the board has declared uh, another recurring dividend of uh, $15 cents. So in, in normal numbers, we talk about 66.6 million US dollars. So uh, year to date, that brings us to a total dividend uh, being distributed to shareholders of uh, 230 million. And I should say that the, that the Q2 dividend is, is being paid out uh, towards the end of September. So including that, we're, we are around 230 million US dollars. 
So, Morris, you, you mentioned that on one hand, you obviously have uh, uh, optimal uh, operational performance with high fleet utilization, but also you have a number of very strong legacy charter uh, coverage. Uh, how can you elaborate uh, looking ahead on the charter coverage that you have uh, secured so far? And how does this um, uh, impact or how does it translate into cash flows and profitability? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, we can talk about the rest, the rest uh, of 23. So we, we, we're one of the companies that is putting out a guidance on, on revenue and EBITDA. So we have raised the revenue guidance uh, to 675 uh, to 690 and the EBITDA to 490 to 510. This is for the remainder of 23. And, you know, looking at 23, we already covered 94% in terms of open days. Uh, going into 24, we are covered uh, close to to 60% of open days, and, and 25, we still we still have a coverage of, of close to 25%. And that's that's on an open day basis. If you were to look at it from a relative perspective, and and taking into account um, the revenue side of things, so again, the legacy contracts they are running on charters around the mark of uh, 30 to 35 uh, $35,000 per day. And if you were to add uh, open vessels at current rates, then on a relative basis in 24, the coverage would increase to 75%. So, uh, you know, going into going into 24, it's it's quite a comfortable position uh, position to be in from from an MPCC perspective, especially you know looking at our backlog um, from a revenue perspective, um, the visibility is 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 quite quite clear. So you have an average duration on on the backlog of uh, 1.8 years, so close to two years, uh, with with very decent names uh, in the industry from a credit perspective. Um, so around 85% of our backlog is with the top 10 liner companies, but also also cargo backed operators. Well, clearly the the credit quality of your counterparties is is key especially given the legacy contracts. Uh, so that's a very good point that you uh, raised. Uh, during your conference call, you mentioned you, that you focus on maintaining prudent capital allocation and enhancing long-term shareholder value as you remain in an ideal position to balance strategic and selective fleet optimization efforts with continued accretive shareholder returns. I'm quoting from the, uh, uh, from, from the call. So can you elaborate uh, uh, how do you ensure that your operational strategies align with your capital allocation strategy to achieve the best financial outcome? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a valid question. And obviously, um, just starting to say that I, I, I tend to believe that um, we are perceived positively by the investor community because we walk the talk and we continue to distribute capital or return capital to shareholders. So going forward, we will certainly continue to pay the recurring dividend. Um, as you know, historically, we have uh, we had two types of dividends. One is the recurring and the other one is the event-driven distribution. You know, whenever we, we, we have vessels that we sold, um, we could, based on our policy, distribute between zero and 100%. And I think historically, on average, we have distributed two thirds of those feeds back to shareholders. Um, and this this time around, um, the board has decided to, because there has been a few vessel sales in the second quarter, to not distribute event-driven distributions, so to keep the money on the balance sheet. 
And I think now we need to define what, what does operational challenges means uh, going forward, going into 24. Um, there's a lot of uh, dry dockings that, that are coming up. Um, one thing that why we want to uh, bolster liquidity cushion on the balance sheet. Um, but the, th the second thing is also uh, the market outlook is, is somewhat unclear. Um, so we think it's rather prudent to sort of beef up the liquidity position on the balance sheet, at least for the time being. And, you know, if, if the market uh, develop more positively than, than what we think, then obviously we still have the ability to um, distribute event-driven distributions to shareholders. So I think um, that, that's, that's one thing. Um, and then we have also, and we talked about it before, uh, we believe that 23, 24, and 25 could be very interesting for us as MPCC in terms of fleet optimization and fleet renewal. Um, we, we have acquired a few ships this year, and the question is, how do you fund those acquisitions, you know, when you, from the operational uh, business, when you, when you have a tendency to, of distributing most of the capital? And the answer is, is simply for us, uh, we, we can use the balance sheet. We have a very low leverage on the balance sheet. We have a lot of unencumbered ships on the balance sheet, and there's, there's obviously the potential to, to incur some leverage on those assets uh, and raise some cash uh, to be able to, to acquire ships uh, at attractive levels, obviously, uh, going forward. Well, you took me to fleet renewal. I was planning to ask you about the dividend, but let's focus on fleet renewal. I think fleet renewal is a compelling um, topic, uh, given green sweeping on one hand, I think the uh, you know the the situation with the uh, the age of the fleet in the segment you operate. So and you've been quite active uh, in terms of fleet renewal. Can you elaborate a little bit on your uh, SMP activity, on your new building activity, and and how you approach the um, uh, the fleet renewal aspect? Yeah, it's um, again as as just mentioned, we believe um, it's. It is. I mean, we're not we're not at, at historical low levels where you can where you can buy dirt cheap vessels. But I, we we still believe it's an opportune time to be active in the S and P market. And you mentioned yourself um, the the regulatory pressure that is coming up uh, in the in the near term future is um, is is almost forcing us to 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 be proactive when when you know renewing the fleet. Um, the fleet on the water that we have is between fifteen and sixteen years of age. Um, trading very well, they're well maintained, but you know, with the CII regulation being introduced, but also for vessels trading in Europe, with the EU ETS trading scheme, there will be there will be more requirements and demands by our customers. Uh, and obviously, we want to stay relevant, and we have a few new buildings, but they're only coming in in in, in 24. Um, and we we certainly want to want to stay relevant as early as possible and and signal also to our customers that you know we are proactive we we renew the fleet and we will have an attractive offering to you as a customer um, and going forward and obviously historically when you assess a, a purchase a transaction you you look at you know what's your return what's your entry point what's you know is it accretive from an EPS perspective what's your what's your de-risking but. Uh, needless to say, there's uh, one more ingredient now, uh, which is also how efficient is the vessel going forward and, and how compliant can the vessel be from now to 26, but also 26 going forward and 26 being the date when, when the CI being or becoming even more stringent. So, but in, in parallel, besides the, uh, the fleet renewal through uh, new builds, you have also embarked on uh, retrofitting. 
so maybe uh, I think you can mention a little bit about your uh, efforts in that area. Yeah, uh, certainly. And we, we, you're right. We have mentioned that uh, specifically in, in our Q2 uh, earnings call. And for the time being, I think it's fair to say that the retrofitting measures that, that we have done is, is, uh, is around, let's say, uh, silicon paints in, you know, during, during the, the contractual dry docking period, but also other smaller measures um, that can be done without dry decking the vessels. And I, I, don't, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I think the more relevant part, and, and that's something also for 24, is that we have uh, earmarked a number of vessels in our fleet um, that we think it's worthwhile to 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 retrofit with the larger measures, and and that means uh, retrofitting the bulbous bow, uh, retrofitting propeller, uh, introducing thin propeller caps and hull fins, navy stack, etc. So it's 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 a capital intensive uh, exercise for sure, um, but interestingly, we are now in a position to have a strategic dialogues also with our customers, especially on vessels that are longer term charters. Where also the charter has a has a relatively strong benefit if if we if we if we retrofit the vessels because obviously they they are responsible for procuring the bunkers and if the vessels are operating more efficiently then there's also quite a big cost saving element uh, in there for 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 liner companies so we we have earmarked a few vessels and we will we will go ahead um, we we have some interesting dialogues as I mentioned with with liner companies to to at least split some of the costs that, that not everything is being borne by by MPCC. And you know with that we are being able on certain vessel types uh, to to improve the efficiency by between 15 to 20 percent, which is which is quite interesting in my view. So you can uh, all of a sudden a vessel that has been built during the Lehman crisis, you can almost uh, level it with a vessel that has uh, been built in 2013, 14, 15 in terms of carbon emission footprint. You took me into the next question. Uh, you have uh, almost answered it. On one hand, we see the pressure coming from the regulatory side in terms of green shipping and so on. But on the other hand, which I found noteworthy is you have your customers essentially putting more emphasis on fleet optimization, green shipping and so on. So. Can you elaborate? I mean, do you see more uh, demands uh, coming from the customer side um, in this area? Yeah, certainly. I mean, and, and on the customer side, you also, it's quite clear right now to see different strategies. And uh, especially talking about the 2M alliance between Maersk and MSC, maybe that's also the reason why the alliance is not in place anymore. But those two companies, uh, for, for at least for us, it's 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 quite clear that they have different strategies when it comes to uh, the green transition and and Maersk being the one putting more more emphasis on on retrofitting and ordering fuel efficient ships uh, relative to MSC, who is incredibly active in the second hand market, also on the new bedding side for sure, but also in the second hand market and and willing to to buy older ships taking to the fleet. Um, so there you can clearly see a, a, a shift. Um, but also what, what we see in, in discussions that we have with our customers, I mean, historically, the discussion was only, was only with the chartering department. We have a chip, uh, you talk to the chartering department and you get a rate and duration, that's it. But these days, it's, it's much more complex. You all of a sudden, you have discussion with the chartering department, with fuel procurement, with sustainability, um, with all those peoples being involved. And, and the discussion becomes, at least from our perspective, more levels um so more strategic which which obviously is helpful 
Um, and, and that not only leads to, to, to retrofitting project, but that can also lead potentially to, you know, partnering up with the, with the liner companies um, on, on certain new building projects, for example, um, maybe a bit more relevant for us because we, we, are, we are the first um, tonnage uh, provider that has been ordering few fuel methanol vessels. So there's expertise in-house in MPCC that could be valuable for, for a liner company and, and hence, you know, the liner companies being willing to have a more level discussion, whereas in the past it was uh, maybe a bit more top down. Uh, but that that's also clearly a shift that we see uh, in the discussions that we have with our customers. And I presume that all the ships that do not live up to those expectations, clearly that they will be penalized yeah. commercially. Now, let, let me go into uh, capital allocation and dividend. Uh, you have paid uh, uh, a regular dividend uh, so far uh, in 2023 of 231 million. That's a lot of money. And I think uh, it uh, translates into a yield so far of 34%. And that is a massive amount. So in terms of uh, dividends, is this policy sustainable? Um, I'm not asking you to give guidance, but clearly you have a very specific, I think, um, policy when it comes to dividends. Uh, maybe you can describe it to us and tell us what is in store regarding the uh, this policy. Yeah, it's um, it's a good question. And it's 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 not only 30, 34% since since beginning of this year, it's more than 50% since the start of uh, 22. So if you go uh, back one more year and assume you have bought the, sh the, the stock in, in January 2022, then uh, your, your, your return would have already been more massive. And it's, I think it's a valid question. Um, we pride ourselves again to to be uh, walking the talk, and you know we are committed to the recurring dividend. And as mentioned before, we had we also have the event driven dividend, which we are sort of holding back for the time being a bit more, um, as we as we want to retain um, some more cash on the balance sheet. Um, I I think. But it's what is interesting to observe if, if, if you look across the peer group is that uh, I think it's fair to say that we are the ones with the clearest dividend strategy, uh, returning capital to shareholders. You have other names that are uh, rather than, you know, returning capital, buying into dry bulk. Um, you have other names simply not having such a high um, dividend policy and, and simply retaining some cash on the balance sheet. But from an valuation perspective, um, I think it's it's quite clear that we have sort of the the, the smallest discount to to NAV um, relative to to some peers. So from our perspective, it is appreciated by investors that we're that we're paying back so much money. It, it is a towards the end of the year, the dividend yield will probably uh, be in excess of of thirty four percent. So much I can say. Um, is that sustainable long term? No, it's not. Um, but obviously, it also needs to be seen in context with um, with the backlog that we have, right? So right now we're in the harvesting period, and and the backlog or the contract, the cash flows that we have, and and the rate levels that we have are significantly above um, above the current market levels. So we are naturally not in a position right now to continue adding to the backlog. So yeah, it's it's harvesting period. And again, all the major shareholders uh, with whom we are in, 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 in a frequent dialogue, they, they are in appreciation of, of what we do in terms of capital allocation. But obviously, as you mentioned, uh, this dividend is coming out uh, out of contracted revenues. 
So you are in the harvesting field, as you mentioned, and um, very correctly so, you kept uh, the event-driven uh, um, cash uh, on the balance sheet. I mean, you've already distributed a lot of money uh, to the regular dividend. Um, so uh, any other priorities in terms of your capital location? Yeah, we have been, I mean, obviously, yes. Uh, capital back to shareholders, one, two, um, deleveraging the balance sheet. And, um, you know, we, we're now down to a 13% leverage ratio on the balance sheet, which we obviously believe is, is, is quite prudent. Um, going forward, it might increase again because we're, we're looking at a, at a few things uh, from a debt perspective, um, raising some cash um, or you know, introducing some, some flexible debt instrument on the balance sheet, um, you know, being able and have the flexibility that we need next to dividend and out uh, cash to shareholders to you know, act opportunistically in what will probably be a, a very interesting market from an, from an S&P perspective. But it's interesting to see that uh, all this time we've been able to use the cash flow to deliver, to give uh, back to shareholders and also to fund growth. So, uh, I mean, you mentioned you have a number of unencumbered ships which provides with additional capacity uh, if you want to grow further. So now going into the sector, on, on the supply side, I think the supply side is something that we know you know, fairly easily, fairly well. Uh, what is the situation in terms of S&P activity, in terms of new builds, uh, in terms of the age profile of the fleet in your segment? Um, yeah, maybe we can start with the with the S&P activity. And um, the market has seen historical high liquidity in the market, obviously in, in 21 and 22. Um, the market has, has cooled off, uh, as, as we all know. Um, but a uh, good thing to note is that we still have a healthy level of liquidity. Um, yes, it's driven by uh, a few distinct names, uh, MSC being one, uh, by far the most active buyer still in the market and adding to the liquidity. And I think, uh, you know, year to date in 23, on average, and not only talking about our segment, talking about the entire container market, I think... Uh, around 15 to 20 ships uh, each month uh, changing hands. And if you put that into perspective, so second half of, of 22, it was only 15. So, you know, the, the liquidity is, is actually not, not that bad. It's, it, it's higher than the second half last year. Obviously, it's it's much lower than, than 21 and, and first half 22. But it's, it's, still, it's, it's still holding up. Um, but you, what, what you also see now, and which is not surprising, you know, uh, you, you see a differentiation now again between good designs and less favorable designs, you know, from a commercial attractiveness uh, point of view, and that's that's quite common when when the market uh, normalizes, as opposed to you know, 2021 and 22, where regardless of the of the type of the ships, you could just charter down to 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 another company for same rate and same duration. So. You can see now that the market is sort of uh, uh, normalizing again. That you know people are willing to pay more for for a decent design and obviously less for 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 not not that favorable design. Um, and from a from a, from an order book perspective on on the supply side, as you mentioned, um, also an interesting discussion and a discussion that we uh, very often have with with our investors because obviously everyone is very focused on this. 30% order book number that, that everyone sees and, every, and, and is in everybody's mouth. 
Um, but if you, if again, if you drill in, it's obviously quite uh, quite obvious to see that um, it's it's heavily skewed towards the larger, uh, larger size. So I think 85% uh, of the entire order book in, in TU terms is um, 8,000 plus TU. Um, specifically, the, the 12 to 17,000 TU segment has an order book of close to 70%, which is uh, daunting, no question. Uh, the good thing is, hopefully, that it's only been ordered from, from, from the operators themselves. Uh, and hopefully they 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 know how to use those uh, going forward when when they're being delivered. But looking at the sort of MPCC focus areas, which is the thousand to three thousand TU and and the three thousand to let's call it eight thousand TU segment, the order book is around I think fifteen and eighteen percent in those two segments, which is comparatively low to the to the larger sizes. It's slightly higher than you know the last couple of years. But from our perspective, it's it's a digestible number, especially in the in what is our sort of main segment, which is the one thousand to three thousand TUs. Um, there's roughly in total, total talking about total of number of ships, uh, three hundred ships on order, and and now taking a view on the age distribution of the fleet, which is also quite interesting, right? So in our segment, in that one to three thousand TU segment, you have in total roughly 2,200 ships, uh, of which, again, 300, which is equal to the order book, is around 20 to 24 years, right? And on top, you have around 250 ships, which is older than 24 years. So I think those numbers are quite impressive. Um, and that, you know, from our perspective, uh, will lead to, to further scrapping going forward, which is just natural, right? You, you need to replace those. Um, we haven't seen that many uh, scrappings, uh, obviously, in the last years, but also year to date, because the market is holding up. I mean, you can still fix at decent levels, and why would you scrap a ship if you can still earn money? But <clears throat> going into 24 and 25, we think it's inevitable that we will see more scrapping, especially in, in our specific segment. So that's why we believe that the order book can be absorbed, uh, hopefully, quite quite smoothly uh, over the next, let's call it, um, 15, 18, 24 months. Um, and at the same time, and now talking again about regulation CI, you will need to see, especially on the older ships, you will need to see a slowdown in speed in order to be in compliance with CAI. So we have we have been running some numbers. Um, obviously, that's only internal research and you know, <laughs> don't take it for granted. But you know, basis our assumptions and, and, and our models, uh, there could be a a supply side implication in the feeder segment of five of five to to six percent simply by reducing the speed by one knot. So that's also you know that's also quite an important factor. And you know if if you throw everything together again, the feeder order book I think is is manageable. Question remains uh, on on the larger sizes and and to what extent you will see a, a cascading effect. Um, so jury is still out. But again, as I just mentioned, the market is. Is still holding up. Yes, charter rates have been coming down, um, but still at levels that, um, from our, our perspective, are okay. But that takes us to the demand side. I think clearly on, on, on the supply side, uh, the picture is fairly straightforward, so to speak, or at least a lot more straightforward. On the demand side, we have global uncertainty regarding the macroeconomic uh, developments. Still, there is a big difference, I think, uh, in the uh, demand dynamics of the larger vessels versus the intra-regional level 
that uh, array uh, rules that you are focusing on. So maybe you can describe to us how you are seeing these uh, intra-regional groups developing. Yeah, that that is always that is obviously um, always the most difficult question uh, to answer. Every everybody can model out the supply side, and and the tricky question is the demand side. Um, so what, what what have we seen over the last weeks and months? Um, interestingly, we have seen a, a gradual increase in freight rates, you know, ref being reflective of demand, hopefully. Um, aims to be seen how sustainable that is. Um, you know, the, the overall news is, is rather adverse in, in terms of global macroeconomic picture. But um, now in, in terms of intra-regional trades, um, what have we seen? We have seen a decline, yes, um, not as steep. Uh, as in the in the main uh, main lane trades uh, east west uh, for example and if we if we look at the two major interregional trades uh, being asia and europe in, in asia we have seen a, a, a slight decline and probably uh, driven by by the chinese uh, economic activity but also some typhoon season so there was a a, a smaller uh, a decrease but also in europe we have seen um, weaker traffics and the question obviously remains um, what, what's, what's going to happen going forward. Um, in intra-Asia, you already see that more and more vessels coming into the market, coming open. So from a, from a supply side, you know, talking again of supplies, but you will probably see some, some more supply side pressure in the, in the intra-Asia uh, intra uh, intra trade and into intensifying the competition. And potentially leading to, to lower freight rates um, remains to be seen. Um, however, in Europe, our expectation is, and that is purely driven by, by the regulation that is being introduced, EUTS, we're actually thinking that we see an increase in freight rates naturally, right? Because liner companies will hopefully try to pass on uh, the higher cost that they will have to, to their customers. Um, but I think just to mention overall, we believe there's a high trade growth potential, especially in emerging markets, which are usually being served by the by the feeder vessels, um, especially driven by economic um, economies with a catch-up potential. And then we also, where actually we are quite active in the intra-Caribbean uh, trade, there's also some, at least we some some growth potential. Um, and interestingly, if you look historically and you know you compare the interregional trade growth uh, with the mainland trade growth, the interregional trade growth has always been more resilient, and um, the, the the growth that you have seen has always been uh, stronger. Yes, there will be some dents, uh, I would call it, in the growth, but the, the mean reversion will will certainly be there. Um, yes, twenty four will probably be challenging, uh, maybe twenty five as well. Um, but again, from, from our perspective, the, the sort of the segment that we are operating, operating in both from a supply side perspective, but also demand side perspective, are certainly more interesting than than you know operating in, in the larger in the larger sizes. So we had coming to the end of our discussion. Uh, any closing remarks that you would like to make regarding MPC? Uh, your looking ahead. Uh, the market or the company development? Yeah, no, it's um, it 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 will be an interesting slash challenging market 24-25, but I I believe that we're we're quite well positioned. We have a strong EBITDA backlog of uh, of nine hundred million US dollars, 
Um, we continue with our prudent capital allocation. Um, so we will be uh, continue returning capital shareholders. You mentioned yourself year to date dividend yield of 34%, which will, you know, with the next dividend being paid towards the here, which will probably uh, in excess of, of 34%, which is uh, pretty compelling if you ask me. Um, I, I think we have proven historically that we have a, a, a timely fleet optimization um, and we're quite happy with the, you know, taking in the, the, the five uh, modern echo ships that we have acquired over the summer. Um, we have a very strong balance sheet, low leverage. Uh, we will continue to have a lot of unencumbered vessels on the balance sheet, giving us a lot of a lot of flexibility. And and last but not least, um, as we just talked about, I I think um, despite the overall maybe negative sentiments on a container trade, which is understandable if you look at the order book and the overall macro macro picture, I think the the, the fear segment itself is is incredibly interesting for for reasons that we that we just talked about and. Um, I, yeah, I think we're pretty well, pretty well positioned to hopefully take advantage of, of whatever lies ahead of us. And with that, I'd like to thank you for joining me today in this very interesting discussion. Uh, we had the opportunity to discuss with Moritz Furman, the uh, CFO of uh, MPC Container Ships, the Oslo listed uh, MPC Container Ships. Uh, Moritz, thank you very, very much for uh, this podcast. Thank you, Nicolas.